Hi everyone, welcome to the Resident Doctors of BC's Pulse podcast. My name is Dr. Adriana Gunton and I'm a second year uh, UBC internal medicine resident in the Victoria program. I'm so excited to be joined today by Dr. Bonnie Henry, uh, BC's provincial health officer, as I'm sure all of you know. You may know her as the face of BC's COVID-19 response, as well as her trademark phrase, be kind, be calm and be safe. Dr. Henry graduated from Dalhousie University's medical school and did her residency training in preventative medicine and a master's of public health at the University of California, San Diego. She completed further residency training in community medicine at the University of Toronto. Among many other uh, incredible accomplishments in her career, she worked uh, as the operation lead in the response to the SARS epidemic in Toronto and worked with the WHO to control the Ebola outbreak in Uganda. Uh, as someone interested in a career in infectious diseases and public health myself, as well as a female in medicine, it really is an honor to be interviewing you today, Dr. Henry. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here with you and lovely to meet you. Um, so before we get to the rest of the interview, uh, we have a few rapid fire questions just to open the ice. All right, here we go. All right. Favorite food? Chocolate. <laughs> It. Uh, least favorite food? I'm not a fan of raspberries as much as <laughs> I don't know why. I, I would add liver in there too, but raspberries definitely. Okay, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that before. Uh, favorite restaurant in Victoria? Oh, goodness. Well, the one that I go to most often is Heron Rock, but there's lots of great restaurants in Victoria. <laughs> I've never been there. I will have to try it out. Um, favorite movie? I'm a big James Bond fan, so definitely the, the Daniel Craig James Bond. Okay. All of them. <laughs> uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, definitely. Probably, actually, it's one of my earliest uh, memories. The very original Star Wars is one of the first memories, actually, first movies that I went to a movie theater and saw in a movie theater. Although I have to say, um, I didn't have a TV for a long time, but I got one last year and I started watching The Mandalorian, so I'm a big, huge uh, Star Wars Mandalorian and, you know, just started Boba Fett. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Um, number one pet peeve. Oh, you know, I have quite a lot of those, but uh, procrastination and people who take up the whole sidewalk when they're walking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, those, yeah. Can't handle those. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, tea or coffee? Uh, definitely coffee. Um, I'm a, need my coffee in the morning. I just have my loading dose, and then I, you know, go <laughs> to titrate for the day. But I will say, and I, I have a pot right now. It's nice to have a little bit of uh, tisane in the evening or afternoon. So yes. without the caffeine. <laughs> Especially in medicine, I'm always surprised at people who don't drink coffee, so. <laughs> Night owl or morning person? Morning person, have always been a morning person. I'm cursed with being a morning person. I get up <laughs> at, uh, uh, these days, about 5.30 most mornings. Oh, very early. Uh, cats or dogs? You know, I've uh, only, well, I love dogs. I've lived with cats. Okay. <laughs> Uh, pen of toys. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually notorious for stealing pens. Um, I have this, this is sort of pen fetish, but they have to be black pens. So I like uh, any uh, fine tip black ballpoint pen. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, if you were a superhero, what would your power be? Uh, kindness. I think we really undervalue the importance and the power of kindness. That is very true. Um, okay, what is your favorite Fluvog style? Oh, <laughs> I think I have to say the Dr. Bonnie Henry's, of course, <laughs> but, but I, um, you know, I don't play favorites with my Fluvogs. I have lots and, you know, it depends on the day, depends on how you're feeling. So um, uh, I, I, yeah, you know, I have uh, the favorite ones are the ones that I'm wearing today, <laughs> whatever day it is. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we love seeing you wearing them. <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much for, for that. Uh, we'll get into the rest of the interview now. I'm, I'm glad there was, they, they pre-warned me that there might be a question about uh, doffing and donning, which are words I hate. I, there's a pet peeve. I like to use putting on and taking off. <laughs> that, that would be plain language because I never remember which ones <laughs> which one's which although somebody did describe it to me as awning and offing but oh. I, I do think putting on and taking off is much more sense and yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a <laughs> uh we were going to have you do a little oski style question but we thought you've been too busy lately we'd, we'd save you from that <laughs> i had pictures of me putting on and taking off ppe for ebola when i was in uganda a few uh -huh. years ago so. yeah wow i can't even imagine that was i've done it <laughs> um okay so uh, when did you know you wanted to pursue a career in public health? Oh, yeah, you know, that is something that, uh, I, I, that I think we all need to think through that. One of the things I will say about medicine, and uh, I sort of facetiously say, you know, it's great to have an MD to fall back on, but we always have opportunities in different channels in life. And uh, when I first uh, finished medical school, I uh, did an internship out here back in the day when there was an internship um, out here in Victoria. And then I worked in the Navy for a period of time because I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to, to fit in. And uh, we ended up moving down to San Diego with my, my husband at the time with his job. And I started working at this inner city community clinic in the in the heart of the, the knife and gun club, as we called it in, in inner city San Diego. And that's where I really um, got my passion for public health and for understanding the impact on populations. And I had a um, woman that I worked with who was my mentor and teacher down there, and she's a, a physician as well. And uh, she said, look at how you approach things. You need to go into, you need to do this residency in preventive medicine, as they called it in the state. And uh, she was absolutely right. So I did my uh, master's of public health and uh, residency training in preventive medicine, and then came back to Canada and did uh, public health and preventive medicine. And it, it absolutely was where it's my niche. Um, but you know, these are the things you can, uh, you find these things in life. And Sometimes we think we know where we want to go and then yeah, you get there and you find out, you know, the bread and butter, you have to like the bread and butter of what you do every day. And, you know, if you're a family doc, which I was for a number of years, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, coughs and colds and sore backs and sore knees and depression and a few other things, but, you know, really important to, to be excited about that every day. If you're a surgeon, it's, you know, you have to be able to do appies and coles, right? <laughs> it's your bread and butter. Um, 
But in public health, it's just you never know what's going to be on your plate that day. And there's a whole variety of things that you can get involved in. And, and you can switch over time. Um, I've always had a passion for communicable disease control and outbreak management. But there's a whole lot of other things in dealing with the toxic drug crises. And how do we how do we manage those really complex interactions of social and um, political, small p political, the, the, um, the history of harms and just really complex things that we have to find ways to get through and, and balance um, health and, and well-being for people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I found my niche in public health, but it's a really big one. Yeah. <laughs> well, from what you're saying and all experiences and, you know, still being so passionate about it today it's uh, it's incredible and you've obviously done such a good job and so many uh, amazing things in your career so it's uh it's awesome to to hear about um what was a tough moment from your residency that sticks with you whoa you know um i think that, that there is <laughs> obviously there's there's lots of things that i, I think all of us go through when we're practicing medicine. And, um, you know, I think about, um, you know, in our first year, we, we want to, we want to be able to solve every problem for everybody. Mm -hmm. And then in our second year, we kind of realize that nobody pays attention to us, and we're not going to solve anything. And, and it's all hopeless. And then we kind of find a balance. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, coming to that realization was really challenging. So those people where you think, what could I have done differently? And you know, how do how could have I avoided this this place? And I, I think you know, I, I'm trying to think. I don't know that there's one specific thing. There were a lot of moments that came to me about those those feelings of sometimes um, not being able to make a difference that you want to make. Mm -hmm. whether it's on a one-to-one -one individual level with an individual person um, and how that takes it out of you over time. Uh, and then realizing that, um, that you're not alone in that and that we all go through that. So I think, yeah, the ups and downs. And you know, I, I think we all as well take on a little bit of everything that we're learning and doing. <laughs> so, you know. I don't know, most of us are a little bit neurotic and we wouldn't get to where we are. Um, so yeah, we all, I think, as I say, in the communicable disease and the stuff we do, we, I, I think I had every disease known to man as we were going through it. Yeah. So residency is really hard that day and that way. And, you know, the one thing I would say is that you are not alone, that we always have each other in this and that if you're going through these really discouraging, depressing moments, there's everybody else's too. Mm -hmm. um, and to be really, um, to lift each other up and to remember to do that regularly, mm -hmm. whether it's just reaching out and texting somebody. I have, I have friends that I've known for a long time now who are physicians and they just send me a note every now and then. And there's no expectation of, of having to enter in a conversation or it's yeah. just, yeah, you know, you good? You're okay. Send you a hug. So remember to do that. I think all of us need to remember to do that because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy, um, you know, in residency to take on everything yourself and then, you know, be that support for someone else. But 
just knowing, like you said, I really liked how you put that, that we're all in it together. And even just something simple as a quick text can, you know, make someone stay and um, make a big difference. And yeah, where I come from, and I've said this publicly a few times where I come from in the Maritimes, we, we talk about common suffering builds strong bonds. Oh. And, you know, you have that with yeah. your fellow residents, whether it's your group that you're doing this rotation with, and, and those things stay with you for a long time. So just, the, you know, remember those and foster them and, and, uh, and you'll be patient with each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, what is a common myth about public health that you want to debunk? Hmm. Uh, one is, uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, up until recently, it was really hard for my mother to describe what I do. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> now, now she has a better idea um, that we're just administrators and, and that we don't actually, uh, you know, do clinical medicine. I think that's the, the biggest thing that I would debunk because you, you absolutely have to understand the clinical underpinnings of medicine in, 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 I would say in a very broad way. You know, if I think about COVID, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with uh, understanding immunizations and a lot of, um, you know, some of the core things we do in public health is about vaccinations and prevention and immunizations. There's so important and you need that, like to make the decision to extend the interval between dose one and dose two of the COVID vaccine is based on understanding immunology and knowing <laughs> and, you know, so I think the fact that it's uh, clinical medicine and the patient is a population, it's not just, you know, the, our, our challenge and our, our task or our goal as, as clinicians, as physicians is to um, do the best that we can for our patient. Mm -hmm. And in public health, my patient is the community, whether, you know, however that's defined right now for what I'm doing in the pandemic, it's the people of British Columbia are my primary responsibility. Mm -hmm. So it, it's how do you, how do you do the best on a broader scale? So it, it is really absolutely clinical medicine. Yeah, that must be frustrating to you on a day in and day out. Oh, you're just an administrator working for government. Well, not quite. I do have this little itty bitty independent role, <laughs> so, which is nice because uh, I, you know, I can speak uh, directly to the public about their health. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important role, but also a massive responsibility. So it's one of those things that you have to really balance and watch what you say and all those media briefings where my little inside voice is going, as I told you a hundred thousand times. <laughs> well, on that note, you know, leading us through this pandemic, how did you de-stress? Mm. Um, I'm not sure I do, <laughs> to be honest. No, I, I, I think um, uh, it, it has been really, really challenging and I'm going to need years of therapy after this. But I, uh, I, as I said, I'm a morning person. So I, I run um, and I run in the mornings mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, I find that's one of the things that really keeps me grounded and helps me think. Um, I also meditate. It's something... Um, 
uh, mindfulness and mindfulness-based stress reduction. I had uh, a few years ago when I was going through a really difficult period of my life, I uh, found my, uh, this mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction books by John Kabat-Zinn and and there are some um, clinicians, actually, family docs here in, the, in, in British Columbia that run the mindfulness in medicine courses. And so just going back, it, just 10 minutes a day, being able to, to breathe and think through some of that stuff is really, really important. And I'd recommend it for anybody. <laughs> That's uh, mindfulness, I think, is definitely something residents could uh... Yeah. And, you know, it's not religious. It's not uh, based in any sort of doctrine. It's about, uh, it's just about thinking about how you, how you approach the world, how you tell yourself stories and narratives that we have in our head that mm -hmm. run through how we do things um, and being able to recognize those and, and manage them. It helps a bit. <laughs> You said we're all a little bit neurotic, but anything that can help a little bit, I think. That's right. <laughs> um, kind of along the same note, but obviously in the public eye, uh, I'm sure has not been easy at all. How have you coped with, with that harassment during the pandemic? I think that's one of the things, you know, I've, I've had the odd threatening email or people who disagree with my point of view and whatever but I've never seen it quite as intense and relentless as uh, what's happened and and that has been really hard the the level of vitriol on the social media I call it anti-social media <laughs> stay away from it now but um, it, it did take me by surprise uh, me and and some of my colleagues across the country mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, it the, the level of negativity was something that was just shocking. Uh, the things that people have sent to me, they've come to my house, they've come to the office, they've sent things in the mail, they've sent me emails. Um, I have uh, an RCMP team that goes with me everywhere still right now because people have uh, actually sent very credible threats with what they were going to do, etc. So it's... Um, I have I have no life as I say to them. Um, that has been really really hard um, because you know I go out now and people recognize me, which is very strange. Um, you know I'm a relative. Well, I'm a, I'm a definitely an introvert and a private person in many ways, and um, people feel that they know me, which is very um, in some ways is very gratifying because it means that I'm communicating to people and they, they hear that. Um, and, uh, you know, 90% of people are really positive and, and happy, but then out of the blue, uh, just the other day, walking home, uh, a group of young men started uh, shouting things at me that obviously I can't say in public. That it was really just, and it just makes you really nervous. I mean, mm -hmm. They knew where I lived. You know, those are things that uh, are changing. And I think a lot of it is more that I get picked upon because I'm a woman and because I'm a public figure. Um, so the things that I wear, how I look. Uh, <laughs> somebody the other day sent me this really awful note saying I had a turkey neck. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> so, 
<laughs> why are you? But <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think I have a turkey neck. <laughs> Those are the things that really sort of stick with you. Um, so how do I deal with that? Uh, you know, uh, I we have my my fellow chief medical officer health across the country. We meet on Sunday mornings. We have our little tea and and group hug and um, work through these things together. Um, and, and I just. Yeah, it's um yeah it's surprising and I will be looking forward to fading back into blissful anonymity at some point. Uh, well, yeah, I can't imagine you know what it's been like. It's uh scary. It, yeah, that's the part that is um really disruptive. The fact that I felt like I before I had the RCMP team, um, mm -hmm. I couldn't go out by myself because uh, people were you know would follow me and uh, and you know many people were very positive but then you never know um and that was it, it was uh nerve-wracking frightening yeah. and now of course uh, the my rcmp team they, they there's a group of them and they switch over and periodically but uh, i make them come running with me at five in the morning so. <laughs> <laughs> but they like it <laughs> some of them <laughs> Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that it's, you know, 90% of people, you know, like you said, are positive and it's just takes those few percent that really kind of ruin everything. And no, it's it's hard because uh, you make the best decisions possible weighing all the, the pros and cons and it's really hard to communicate that yeah. and, um, and, uh, and when there's change and things are changing, things are changing all the time and mm -hmm. you have to adapt to the change. But change creates a lot of it, it. It provokes anxiety in a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, and that leads some people to just act out in anger or to, uh, or to be frozen with fear. Um, so trying to find that middle ground and support people, because the other thing we also know that in a crisis, if you if you are able to communicate what you need people to do and why and uh, give them the means to do it, that's the really challenging thing, is that you simulate altruism. So people go out of their way to help each other and to, to get through it together. So that's been the focus of what we've been trying to do is, is to tell people everything that we know so that, they, that it will help dampen down that fear and support people to be uh, to reach out to each other and, and get us through this yeah <laughs> not <perfect. laughs> um yeah it's, that's what's uh, admirable admirable about how you know you've approached things um like i really like how you say you know it's all about being kind and like you said giving people the the tools to make the right decision or the best decision that's um uh, the decision that's good for them and supporting each other through that. So um, the other thing I think, you know, going back to, you know, the harassment and, and all that sort of thing, I think social media is, I mean, completely made everything yeah. different yeah. than I'm sure when you previously worked on the SARS pandemic uh, or epidemic, sorry. How do you think that has impacted? You know, it, 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 yes, there wasn't social media so much then. It was still email and stuff, but uh, but there was still a lot of harassment and uh, fear. I wasn't in the media as much, but my uh, my dear friend uh, who passed away, Sheila Bazra, was the medical officer of health in the city of Toronto, and you know I, I was with her a lot when she received a lot of this 
and you know it was the fear again of not knowing not understanding what this is and you can't mm -hmm. see it and you, and you know people would say oh you know you you nurses you paramedics you're great but you know don't come into my coffee shop for a little while or keep your kid home from school for a while because you know we're afraid mm -hmm. <laughs> So those were really hard things to take. And, and it was learning about it, it was learning about fear in the community. And when I worked in Uganda with the Ebola outbreak in Gulu and Masindi's rural communities, and there was this huge amount of fear. I mean, Ebola is a, a, a very frightening disease because mm -hmm. and it's very, you know, much um, it's very striking and and um, and a very high case fatality rate. And when people recovered, there was this huge fear in the community that uh, that there was, if they came back into the community, they'd be ostracized and mm -hmm. burned down their homes. And so I really understood a lot about people's reactions and the need to um, to support people and to be to tell them what's going on, to try and stop the rumors, to try and provide as much information as you could, and mm -hmm. um, and the, the, reaching out to faith leaders and community leaders, because people in a crisis turn to those people, turn to the leaders of their group or their tribe to help them get through those crises. So we did a lot of that here as well. Mm -hmm. And our, our whole approach uh, to this pandemic was really based on, you know, if you start off by fining people and, and jailing them for not doing what you want, you know, where do you go from there? It, it, it really others people. It's those <laughs> others that are doing things wrong. Instead of really acknowledging that we don't always know everybody's story and there may be a reason why somebody is acting out that way because of their past experiences that might have been really bad or their their inability to know what to do in this situation that reminds them of the situation they were in before so it, it really is about you know, compassion which is you know understanding others suffering and and recognizing that if you approach it from that that calm and and um giving people the benefit of the doubt as people are doing their best mm -hmm. um, that will will minimize the trauma of what we're going through mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense um we sort of touched on this i think a lot already but is there um any other ways that your life has changed since being in the spotlight <laughs> yeah i used to have a life <laughs> Um, a, a lot of it has changed. I, I most of my uh, my family is not here in BC, so it's been in, in some ways quite isolating. And I know we've all gone through that in many ways. Um, and uh, I'm sure you know residents, people are doing so much from home, and there's uh, those connections that those social interactions that help us get through these uh, tremendous these stressful times in our lives are not there in the same way and I mean even this it's it's fine but I, I mean I I'm used to traveling a lot <laughs> and you know, I traveled I think of 2019 and I was in Vienna I was like I was at meetings at the WHO in Geneva and I really miss travel <laughs> so that's one huge huge thing um and I just last 
I was thinking about, you know, and when we finally were able to travel again, when things were settling down and I went up to, and I meet with my team, my public health team daily, um, we're on these calls together and, and we're on, you know, three times a week, we're on the Zoom calls. And I went up to Prince George and met with the team from the North and, and just all of us in a room together, you know, spaced away. And I, I just burst into tears because you really realize how much you miss that three dimensions of people's faces and, and the, the being in a room together it was so wonderful. You know, and the same as, uh, you know, I miss going out and listening to the, to live music. <laughs> All of those those good things 